All right, we're uh, back in Acts chapter 1 this week. Um, Reggie kind of dealt with the first part last week, uh, especially uh, verse 6 and 7. Uh, so we're going to kind of deal more with, with Acts 1.8. But uh, I'm just going to read Acts 1, 1 through 14 to get us started. If you want to uh, turn there, it'll also be on the screen. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the, apostles, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering from many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We're going to focus on, like I said, we're going to focus on Acts uh, 1-8 this morning, but we will, we're going to be kind of pulling from all that. Um, but the first thing I want us to notice is Acts 1-8. It says, but you will receive. This is after what we talked about last week. Um, you're not, it's not time for you. You don't need to know what the Father's uh, time frame is for the, the kingdom and all this. But you will, receive the power when the whole, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and, on, and to the end of the earth. So what I kind of wanted us to notice first was kind of the actual order of the things in this verse. Um, so as we don't get confused, we kind of understand our terms before we get started. Um, number one is that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. It actually says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we kind of let, kind of gives us a clue there that you're not going to receive power until the Holy Spirit comes. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power. So as the Holy Spirit will come upon them, that's number one, then you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As a kind of the, the, the order of things. Um, and so I'm going to kind of start from the, the back end of that. We'll just kind of start defining things. Number one, you will be my witnesses. Um, Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to give you power to do what? To be my witnesses. So what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? Um, I think Reggie kind of explained last week too, and, and you may already, and you probably already know, but Acts is kind of like the second volume of Luke, right? Luke wrote Luke, that's kind of the gospel, that's Jesus, and then he wrote Acts, 
which is kind of like the second thing. This is what happened after Jesus. So this is a continuation of that. So if we go back to Luke, there's like an overlap in these two books. It's kind of like one, one story. Um, and so we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, 44 through 48, as we try to define what a witness is. He says here, Then he said to them, that's Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the reason I kind of want to define witness is because I think that maybe it's gotten a little clouded over, you know, over time. Maybe uh, we know of witnessing as like going out on the streets and passing out tracts or you know, even just sitting across the table from somebody and telling them about Jesus. That is witnessing. Um, but I kind of want to like, really get the idea behind witnessing a little bit. Um, and, and this is kind of what he's saying. He says right here exactly what it is. You are witnesses of these things. These things are, um, number one, that the words that he spoke to him, you're witness to the things that Jesus told them, saying that he was fulfilling the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that his life and his death and his resurrection was fulfilling everything that had been foretold in the Old Testament. As we talked about a couple weeks ago when I, got, when I was speaking with you he, you, know, he said several times also that he was fulfilling the law on our behalf. Right? So they're witness to all the things that he spoke and that he said he was doing. And then they're witness that he said that he had to do those things and that he had to die to pay our debt for sin and that he'd have to rise again to bring us life. And then they're witness to the fact that he actually did do those things. They saw him before, they walked with him, they saw him die, and they know that he rose again because they're, they're talking to him at this very moment. Actually, right before that in Luke, it says that he, they were doubtful, but he, he ate with them. I mean, they know he's alive. He was sitting there eating with them. And third is that the things that he told them and his life and death and resurrection meant repentance and forgiveness of sins, and that this should be proclaimed throughout the world. Okay, so being a witness of Jesus meant knowing who he was, that he was a Christ, knowing his purpose was to fulfill the promise of redemption of God's people, coming back to right relationship with him. That's something we kind of talked about a couple weeks ago. Understanding that in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus had fulfilled this purpose by fulfilling the law, paying our debt for sin on the cross and rising again, claiming victory over death so we might live in right relationship with God. An honest understanding of these truths would allow us to be a witness. I think a good way of thinking about a witness is kind of like in a court scenario. I don't know, you know, you have the, the eyewitness and a, a witness like that is somebody who can actually testify to the truth of the matter, right? So it's not so much going out and saying, here's a track, here's a track, you know, that's not, I mean, that's what we've kind of come to know, but being a witness is somebody who can actually say for sure, because they were there, because the truth is what they know, that this is true, that they can actually testify to that truth. So a person who understood these truths that they saw in Jesus would actually be changed by that truth and be a witness of him, obviously proclaiming that truth. So that's kind of witness. I'm not sure if that was very clear. Moving on. All right. So you will receive power. That's the second thing. So you're going to be my, well, actually, yeah. So you will receive power to be my witness. Um, what does that mean? I, 
I kind of often, in the past, I think I've often looked at like chapter two in Acts, and this is where the Holy Spirit actually comes on them at Pentecost. And you know, it's like fire coming down from heaven, and it's like splitting, and it's, there's flames on their heads and stuff, and uh, they're speaking in tongues that they've never spoke before, and everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, I can understand what they're saying. How is this happening? And then, uh, and then Peter just starts telling the whole gospel, and people are coming to Christ. And so that's what I think of as power. Like, I, I want to see some fire. I want to speak in some tongues. I want to see signs and wonders. I think of Acts 2 like that. That's relevant. That's absolutely true. But I think there's a better meaning for us that encompasses that kind of power and also encompasses a little bit more than that. And that would be, as some other translations actually use the word ability, right? Instead of power, we use the word ability. Um, what is the ability? We have the ability to play guitar or you know, play a sport or do mathematics, unless you're me. And uh, so we have the ability to do something. Um, and we're saying here that the Holy Spirit provides an ability to be a witness of who Jesus is. But that doesn't really make sense because, I mean, they've already been with Jesus all this time. Obviously, they know who he is. He just said you've been witness to all these things. Do they really need his ability? Do they need some other outside ability, some other outside power to be able to do this on their own? I think that Reggie probably did a pretty good job of demonstrating last week that, yes, they absolutely needed the ability to come from somewhere else. Because in the same... Um, well, actually, let's, let's read Acts 1.8 just, just to, to help uh, clarify with ability. But you will receive ability when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So we have the ability to be a witness for, for Jesus. Did the apostles need that ability? Yes. There's a failure like a couple verses right before on their part. Acts 1, 4 through 6. So, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promises of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Right, I mean, and, and we're not going to talk about that too much because Reggie really got on it last week. But this is a failure on their part already to be a witness of who Jesus is and what he was about and what he's doing. This is a failure on their part to understand the kingdom that he brought, uh, that, he was, that he was ushering in. So this is a failure on their part to be a witness then because they obviously did not understand the truth that Jesus had been speaking to them. So by demonstrating their misunderstanding of what Jesus had really accomplished by asking about the kingdom, the power being restored to Israel. Uh, this is a question I started just thinking about. Is it even possible to be a witness to something that you don't understand or that you don't comprehend? And I would say no. They absolutely need an ability from somewhere else. So, last or first, this ability to be a witness comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, so, Ephesians 3, 4, 14 through 19. I just kind of want us to kind of get how this works. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the, with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
kind of want to break, just kind of break that down a little bit. Um, basically, Paul here is praying that we would be, or that the Ephesians would be granted strength and might, power, ability, same idea, that you would have the ability through the Spirit in our inner being, that's kind of the key right here, that you would be granted strength and might through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in us so that we can comprehend the love of Christ, so we can be filled with godliness, so that we can glorify Jesus. What I'm supposed to be speaking about this morning is how the Holy Spirit fuels the church towards mission, towards the mission of Jesus Christ. And I can't just say that, well, I don't know, I, this, is, this is kind of difficult because really, you know, this is where it's, this is where it's all at. So we're just, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here. We are given strength and might through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. We are given the ability to be witness of who Jesus is. Actually, we're given the ability to even comprehend who Jesus is, to even start to comprehend the love of Christ, which we talked about a couple weeks ago too is that it's all about looking to Christ because in Christ we see the love of God. We see that we are awestruck with God. We, we, we know his love for us, that he came down and that he lived this life and that he fulfilled the law on our behalf and that he died and that he rose again. We can't comprehend those things apart from the Spirit invading our inner being and giving us the ability or actually being that ability on our behalf to know Jesus Christ so that we would comprehend the love of Jesus Christ so that we can be awestruck by Christ, so that we would be changed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so that we might live a different life that would proclaim Jesus to our neighbors by loving our neighbors as ourselves and by following his commands. And in so doing, we would be a light, as Jesus is the light. We would be a reflection of who Jesus is, and so we'd be proclaiming him not only to our neighbors in our church. As that happens, we come into community, and then our community would be a light to our neighborhood. I just finished the whole thing now. Whoops. So sorry about that. So just forget all that, and we'll just work our way back to it. Okay. Um, yeah, so they must receive the Holy Spirit to have the ability to comprehend who Jesus is so they can understand his love, be changed by it, and be a witness of Jesus. Obviously, we're speaking of the disciples here in Acts 1.8, but I'm just going to give us... Ephesians isn't. Ephesians talking to the Gentiles in, in Ephesus. And so I'm going to take that for us. We're going to talk about us a little bit. We are incapable to comprehend all that Christ has done. We are incapable in our own flesh to comprehend the love of Christ. We can't even begin to get it because we don't have a spiritual mind apart from him. So we cannot be a witness of Jesus because we can't even comprehend what he's done unless the Holy Spirit invades our being and becomes that ability for us. In Jesus being the righteousness for us, we talked about righteousness a couple of weeks ago, in Jesus being that right relationship with the Father for us, um, he fulfilled the law, uh, he paid our debt, he defeated death and lives and brings life to us, but for us to inherit that, for us to take part in that relationship with the Father, we actually must become one with Jesus, right? So I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, it, it, it's not like he can't just say, okay, I did this thing, so all these people, everybody, that's it. No, he, he did that. And so this is what 
This falls on him. This is his reward. And for us to gain that inheritance with him, we must actually become one with Christ. Um, so the Holy Spirit makes that possible. He invades our soul as we believe in Jesus Christ. And he gives us the ability to comprehend the love of Christ. He actually is Christ in us. He is the, the guarantee of our salvation. And we, in comprehending, begin to get the picture and he enables us to respond as a witness to who Jesus is. So, as we talk about ourselves a little more, what would be a true sign of like the Holy Spirit, being, you being filled with the Holy Spirit? What would be a sign of the Holy Spirit working in you? Number one, you would, uh, you would begin, you would know that you have begun to comprehend and are continuing to understand the love of Christ. You would feel like you've had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You will, that's not just an intellectual thing. If we understand this love, it will move us in our affections. Not passing affections, it will just stir us. It will, we will be awed by them. So one sign is that you are beginning to comprehend. You are be, your affections have been stirred by who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. A sign of that understanding would be those affections that you would begin to respond because you would, you would love God for who he is and what he's done. And a sign of you loving God, we talked about a little bit ago, uh, a couple weeks ago also. And in 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commands. And in 1 John 4, 21, it says, In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So a sign of us loving God would be us loving each other and keeping the commands of God. So what would happen if the Holy Spirit changed us in that way, if we began to see that the Holy Spirit must be at work in me because I'm beginning to comprehend who Christ is, my affections are moved towards God, I love God, and it's changing everything. I'm obeying his commands. I have the ability to obey his commands. I have the ability to love my neighbor. What would happen if we love God like this? I look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. This is kind of, this is after the, the, the uh, apostles had received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, or this is when they did. Now, when they heard this, this is the, this is the audience. Peter's, uh, you know, preaching in the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is those, those who are hearing. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, this is, this is a description of what happened that day. It's not necessarily what will happen when we, are, you know, when we have the Holy Spirit giving us this ability we're not necessarily going to preach and everybody, we're going to save 3,000 people in that day. It's a description of what would happen, but we can learn a lot from that description. Through his ability that the Holy Spirit had given him, he was able to say what the Holy Spirit wanted him to say. And he did not cut people to the heart, but the Holy Spirit made those words cut, those pe cut people to their heart. And there was 3,000 people saved that day. If the love of God is in us like this, if the Holy Spirit is invading us, invading our souls and taking over because we believed in Jesus Christ, we believe he is who he, who he says he is and that he's done what he said he's done, 
And because of that, he seals us with the Holy Spirit and he moves our affections towards him. If that's actually happening, we will have the ability to be the light of Jesus Christ. We will glorify Jesus Christ in our life and we will proclaim Jesus Christ. Maybe not in this exact way, in some other way, but when we do, it will work because the Holy Spirit will be behind it. Behind it. In our ability, we can't do anything. I would also go to uh, Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, which is just right after that. So he brought 3,000 people to him, uh, were added that day, were saved that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what would happen if the Holy Spirit gave us the ability to love God in that, in that verse we see? We would be living in gospel community on a mission to love our neighbors. And that would be as a proclamation of the truth of Jesus and what he's done in us. And we'd be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. I think that's what we're, I'm trying to get at is uh, this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again to save our souls because he is absolutely in love with us. But we cannot partake in that and we do not have the ability to even get that or be one in that inheritance without the Holy Spirit. So we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. It says right there at the end that the Lord added to their number day by day. It's not because they had like a great plan and because they, they got their missional communities just right, you know, and then they had developed just the right rhythms. These are all good things, and we, and we need to do them. But, uh, but it's not anything that they did that brought people to know Jesus Christ day by day by day. It's all the Holy Spirit. It was all the Holy Spirit, like that. Because they were living in gospel community, because of that, they were seeing Jesus Christ in each other, and the Holy Spirit was moving in their hearts. He was invading their inner being and moving them to love Jesus Christ and glorify him and proclaim him. And through that, the Holy Spirit was moving in other people's hearts, and God, the Lord, added to their number daily. So, we are unable to know Jesus, but the Holy Spirit enables us. And so, knowing Jesus, we know God. We are unable to fulfill the law and to be in right relationship with God. But Christ was able. And the Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ. And so being one with him, we can be in right relationship with the Father and all of God's creatures and with each other. So we are unable to love one another on our own. We're unable to obey his commandments no matter how hard we try, no matter what, how good of a plan we come up with. But the Spirit loves the commands because He is God, and He loves each and every one of us because He is God, and He has this mind of God. He has the same thoughts as God and the same affections as God. So He enables us to do the same, and that's demonstrated in community with one another. We are unable to be the light of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood. We are unable to organize the, the mission that will save souls. 
but the Holy Spirit will fuel our communities, our church, the well, to shine like Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our city. If we are to fulfill the Great Commission, it will be because the Holy Spirit fulfills the Great Commission, and we have the great privilege to be a part of that. As our, I kinda, you can kind of think of it as like he's the business owner, and he's like letting his kids take part in the business. I don't know, that's probably a bad analogy. <laughs> uh, here's the other thing. So, we are completely dependent on the Spirit. How in the world do we go about depending on the Spirit? Um, step one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the apostles, that's where we started is Acts 1 8, so we'll just start with them. The apostles, they had to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit. That's what the scripture says there. And so he says, You go back to Jerusalem, you just kind of wait a while, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then you'll have power and the ability to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? But they had to wait on it. It says in uh, Acts 1 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is what they did while they waited on the Holy Spirit. They were of one accord in prayer and some, some other translations say prayer and supplication. But we don't have to wait. That's really good news, I think. Even though there's really a beautiful thing happening there in Acts while they wait, but we don't have to wait. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So we don't have to wait. If you believed in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if you believe that he is who he says he is and has done what he says he would do, and that, by the way, is the grace of God that you believe that because it's the Holy Spirit's work in you. But if you do believe that, if you've trusted him, if you accept that that is truth and you have faith in that, the Holy Spirit has already sealed you and that has promised you the inheritance of Jesus Christ. You've been made one with him. So we don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it goes on to say this, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. So because we know that we, because we know Jesus, because we are sealed with his spirit, because we know that the spirit is at work within us, we should seek to engage him. We should seek that strength and that power that he gives us. We should seek the ability to become more like Jesus. We should engage with the Holy Spirit, knowing Christ's love for us. We should want to become godly so that we would be an example of who Jesus Christ was. And so what does engaging the Spirit look like? This is all about how we depend on the Holy Spirit. Is lastly in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It's right after that last thing we just read. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for Paul, I mean a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for Paul. Okay, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So to engage the Holy Spirit, we look to Christ who's saved us. We depend on the Spirit who is making us. I think us is a, is a big word. He's making us one together in Christ. If, he's making, if the Holy Spirit's worked in me to make me one with Christ and he's worked in you to make you one with Christ, then we are one together also and we should seek to engage the Holy Spirit in that community. Depending on the Holy Spirit is not a lazy activity. It's not just because we don't have the ability on our own. We just kind of, whatever, you'll do it if you want to do it. It's engaging. It's doing something. And this, he kind of spells it out there. Uh, we walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. And that looks like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. These are things that we should be, as we look to Jesus and depend on the Spirit, we should strive to be like this. We should strive to look at one another like Jesus looks at one another and know that he's saved us or that he is the Savior for us all and that he loves us. And seeing each other in that way, we can be humbled by the Holy Spirit and gentle with each other. That's kind of hard to do. I, it's really nice to read it out of the Bible, you know, and say, yeah, we should be humble and gentle, and we should be patient with each other. I mean, that's real. That's, it's really saying that we should be like that. We should really, I'm really bad about it. You know, I'm easy at, it's easy for me to judge a book by its cover. I may not like your face, you know? <laughs> and so then I may not like you. But if I'm looking at you like Jesus looks at me and I'm seeing you because the ability, because the Holy Spirit has given me the ability to see you the way Jesus sees you, then I can love you. And I can be humble and know that whatever it is that stands between us, the Holy Spirit can be at work in that. And that it's not up to me to change you or to, or to even almost change me, but it's the Holy Spirit and that, that's humbling. We can be gentle with one another because we know that Jesus Christ loves you, loves each other, and so would want us to be gentle with one another. We bear with one another in love. We're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So, we are designed. This is kind of what I'm really getting at, I guess. This is the, the summary. We are designed to live on mission in community with others. And in this design, we rightly image God as a relational God, as the Trinity, who pursues us in love. And in that pursuit, Christ made a way for us to be restored to a loving, righteous relationship with this God. The Holy Spirit fuels us toward the mission of glorifying Christ throughout the nations by being our ability to comprehend the love of Christ so that we might be filled with godliness, to live like he lives, to love like he lives, and so that we would shine like Jesus shines and be that light to the world, which is a dark, dark place. I believe that people in the dark, if they could just see the light, they'll look to it. And I believe Jesus is that light. We are to reflect Jesus. He's the light. It's not you or me. But the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do that. That's how he fuels our mission, is to make us look like Jesus.
So if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and what, done what he said he would do, and this affects you in, in your emotions toward God, that you love him, then you have the spirit. You've been sealed. You have the inheritance. You're in right relationship with God. And you have the ability because the Holy Spirit has invaded your soul. You have the ability to love one another. You have the ability to overcome sin. So seek Jesus Christ. Engage with the Holy Spirit. Maybe as we do that, the Holy Spirit will move in the power that we kind of think about in Acts 2. That's an ability. I'm not saying that we'll all start speaking in tongues, but I am saying that we might proclaim him powerfully in ways that we don't have the ability to do on our own. And so we might see the power of Holy Spirit spread in our city and that the church and Jesus Christ would be glorified in the city and in our country and in the world. If you're not a Christian, there's good news. This is what we've been talking about as that we're separated from God and completely unable to know him. But it wasn't meant to be that way. We have sin in our life, and we are dead because of it, but Jesus Christ made a way to repair this relationship. We can know love like we always are seeking in this broken and dark world, and it's in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again And if you believe this and you accept that truth and you see his love, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken your soul to see that, that he will wake you up and he'll seal you with the gift of the Spirit. And you can know love like never before. And you can live and die on this earth for one thing, to make that love known to others. And you can have life eternally, and it's a life that starts now. It's not a ticket to heaven. We'll go to heaven. We'll be in heaven with each other. It's something that starts now. There's life now. It's not all rosy, and there are trials, and they are for our good. But you will come to know that as the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to see the, the love of Christ in that. So I just pray that uh, if you're a Christian, you'll see Christ, and you'll engage the Holy Spirit and you will engage the ability that he's given you. And if you're not a Christian, that you just see Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit would engage you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for our time together. I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who made a way for me just to enter in and and know you. And for the Holy Spirit, who's made me one with Christ and giving me that ability. I pray that we would know you today, Jesus Christ, that we would know Jesus Christ today, that we would know the Holy Spirit in us, that we would be in right relationship with the Father so that we would know you, God, that Jesus Christ would be made great, that his name would be the desire of our soul, that we would love each other because he loves us, that we'd be in community, and that our community would be engaging the Holy Spirit, who would give our community the ability to light up the city. Just Father, God, I just 
I pray for our hearts here today that are completely unable to know you. Holy Spirit, engage our hearts, invade our souls. Those who are blind, make them see. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.